the latest on Oregon football recruiting, including a film breakdown on Gatlin Bear. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. If you have not already, please like, comment, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use code Locked On for $20 off your first purchase. So we've got Brian Smith here, our Locked On Recruiting Insider here at the network and our sponsor of such segments and shows as today is LinkedIn Jobs. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. Brian, let's start. We're going to get to some other guys that Oregon fans should have on their radar for 2025 as well. We'll talk about some big picture elements with recruiting, but we're going to start narrow and then we'll, we'll kind of broaden out. We'll begin with Gatlin Bear. He's the highly rated four-star composite commit that the Ducks get in the 2024 class. He won't be on campus until 2026 because he's taking a two-year mission. Let's start with what you see from him on film and what he brings to the table because I look at him and I see a guy who could be the next Troy Franklin for Oregon. The only question about him is what guy can run with him? What is he, like 10-3, 10-4? I forget what this – I can't remember the number, but – Shot out of a cannon fits Mr. Bear, Mr. Bear very well, and I don't think anybody can dispute it. Like, I don't care who you're playing against, and I know it wasn't great competition. Forget what he's going against. Just watch his first two or three steps. It's like he starts before the other team gets to move. So, yeah, his film is nasty. He can play inside. He can play outside. He's a lot twitchier than most 100-meter guys. There was a play on his film I was watching earlier. He did everything wrong. He would have gotten screamed at all day in practice, but he scored because he kept going across the field, but he just kept making everybody miss. Man, around the corner, a little faster, make another guy miss a little bit more. And he scored. So he has the God-given ability you cannot teach. There's no way he can't be successful if he's healthy in some capacity. I personally want to see him be used as a punt returner because I would think that would be natural. Go ahead. Punt it to him. Go ahead. I would I would totally rugby kick every time if he was back there and I was on the other team. So, yeah, he is a touchdown waiting to happen, and he's just a lot of fun. If you have a moment, take the time to look up Mr. Bear's film. It is worth it. Yeah, it impressed me as well. I don't make that Troy Franklin comparison lightly oh, I mean, because Franklin is someone who was also had a, he had a similar composite rating to Gatlin Bear coming out of high school. He was a really highly touted recruit. He's maybe the best Oregon receiver we've ever seen. I mean, look, that's that's subject to interpretation. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder and such. But Franklin just had the best individual receiving year Oregon football has ever seen. Over 1,300 yards. I think it was 14 touchdowns, 81 receptions. And I think Bear is capable of being that sort of guy. By the way, while while you were talking about it, I, I double-checked. 10-1-5 in the 100-meter dash, which is... I mean, he's a track guy too, right? Yeah, I mean, he can do, I honestly wonder why he doesn't just put on the spikes. Because Nike'd sign him right now, I guarantee it. Well, I mean, he might do. I mean, he might do that after football. We've seen track guys come to Oregon have success. Going back to Jordan Kent, 
who did it. He was a three-sport athlete back in the day. Devin Allen was a, a sprinter. Roderick Pleasant, I believe, is going to be putting on the spikes for the Oregon track team. And, you know, it, it is Tracktown USA, as uh, Oregon fans are, are well aware of. So he, he brings a dynamic level of speed and explosive playmaking. What about his receiver skills, his ball skills, his route running? Where do you feel like he is at? I wouldn't say he's a polished receiver yet, but he hasn't had to be. When you're that gifted, sometimes some of the technique goes away, but there's two things you can't take away from him. Not, not only does he run fast, he goes up. I'd like to see him in dunk competition. I'd imagine it'd be pretty impressive. There was a couple of plays where the, the quarterback, when the ball was getting close, I'm like, okay, what's this? And then he went way up, and I'm like, oh, okay, because I thought it was going to be just like a, he was open and they just wanted to show the clip but he made catches that were not normal. And there was a couple of plays. He was even double covered and took it off guys. And like his waist is above the guy's helmet. So he, he could really get up. And then the other thing, it's just a competitive nature to do that. You go up in those situations. Oftentimes it does not end well for your midsection as in shoulder pad, meat, stomach. And he doesn't care. You got to have a little bit of crazy if you're going to play receiver and he has it. So he's not a typical track kid. Most of the guys that could really run, they're usually a little more finesse, et cetera. Gallon didn't seem that way at all. So that's good for him. And then finally, if you just want to kind of add it in again, like the punt return thing, screens, reverses, fake on the speed, and then, you know, like a run option, you can use him where he doesn't even touch the ball and he impacts the play completely because the safeties and the linebackers are going to react to wherever a 10-1-5 guy motions to. He is, he's explosive and you have to account for him on everything. And by the time he gets to campus, you don't know what Oregon's receiver room is fully going to look like. And he's certainly a foundational piece for what I see for the Ducks offense coming in a couple of years. And I want to ask you about that because I got several questions from people uh, about Gatlin Bear because he counts towards the 2024 recruiting cycle, though he doesn't play in 2024 or 2025. This is a a long-term prospect that Oregon is looking at here. What what do you make of him taking – two years to go on a mission before he plays football. Because the guy who I think of in this instance is Britton Covey, who returned a punt for a touchdown, I believe, against Oregon in 2015. I was there at Autzen, and that was not a great day. He did it again in 2021. He had the COVID year, but he had a two-year mission. That was in between, though. He took his mission in the middle of his career. Bear's going to do it at the start. How do you see that playing out? I've seen it a couple of different ways. Obviously, BYU has probably the most, Utah, et cetera. I mean, even Notre Dame's had kids that are on missions. One just came back. Some kids come in completely ready to go, and others you're like, okay, this is going to take a minute. Because what they're allowed to do workout-wise on these missions is very limited. The kids anymore, are either they're not paying attention to the rules or they're just – the rules have changed because they're coming back in better shape. So my first question is, what's he going to be allowed to do? Because like your workout schedule, you're not going to have like the, the weight room at Oregon. Yeah, that's not going to be accessible. So how you interpret that is interesting. I would imagine it's going to take him a little bit after he gets back after those two years, because either you've been playing or you haven't. You're not allowed to do that stuff. And then the workout. But he is playing outside the numbers most of the time. That's his advantage. Like an O-lineman that does it, even like the BYU kids, if they go – on a mission for two years in their alignment, sometimes they redshirt them to get, because they can't take the physical pound and they haven't lifted heavy for two years. It's not as important a receiver. So I think he could still at least be a foundational piece in circumstances. Once he gets back on the field year two, I don't think it would matter. You cannot teach 10, one, five, 
he will get back to that point in Oregon's facilities and the training for track are obviously elite due to the greatest booster of all time. So I don't think that's going to matter in the long run. I'm just curious year one, how would he look? I don't know how you train as a track guy when you're on a Mormon mission. I've never heard of it. I mean, I've never heard of a 10-1 guy taking a Mormon mission either. So it's kind of new territory. Yeah. And I just, I, I do wonder uh, about, you know, what sort of physical training or what, what sort of conditioning right. he'll have by the time he gets back. But once he gets there, I like what you said that, you know, he might not be at his full potential year one, but cool. by year two, he'll be back up to speed and, and, and ready to make an impact. And, you know, a question I thought about the other day was, well, who, who's he going to be catching passes from? Will it be Dante Moore? Will it be Luke Moga, Austin Novosad, Achilles Smith Jr.? We really don't don't know, but certainly I, I expect him once he is a part of the rotation in a couple of years to be to be someone that the quarterbacks are relying on and trying to get the ball to. And I love the punt return aspect uh, as well. Oh, you know, Devin, Devin Allen, last track guy that, that was a receiver for Oregon. There might have been another one that I'm missing in there. But he was a kick returner for the Ducks and, and a pretty good one as well. Turns out speed kills. Two guys to talk about in the 2025 recruiting class, which is where Oregon's recruiting efforts are completely focused right now, as they should be. After we talk about game time, of course, because game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you right now. All users get $100 off when they buy a big game ticket with code VEGAS100. With killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guarantee, game time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. Game time is the only ticketing app that gives you complete peace of mind with your purchase. They're obsessed with finding ways to help you save money on tickets. They have dick they have deals on tickets an hour before the event starts even after the event gets going. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time. Right now all Game Time users get $100 off a big game ticket with code VEGAS100. Terms apply. Just download the Game Time app. Use code VEGAS100 for 100 off a big game ticket or if you're not going to the game, use code LOCKED ON for $20 off your first purchase. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guarantee. Continuing along here with Brian Smith, our Locked On Recruiting Insider here at the network. Attention on the trail for the staff and for Oregon fans turning to 2025 because the 2024 class, barring flips on National Signing Day, which is actually today, and which we don't expect any noise other than Gatlin Bear signing his national letter of, of intent, 2025 is where the recruiting efforts are because the college football schedule is backwards, broken, bent out of shape, and completely illogical. So we have signing day in the middle of transfer portal slash bowl season. Really me that, Batman. Anyway, now that I'm done with uh, my soapbox speech there, a couple names for Oregon fans to be aware of, one of whom you brought to my attention, Brian, DJ Pickett, five-star composite safety on 24-7 sports in the 2025 class. What do you know about DJ Pickett? Um, I've seen about everything on the recruiting trail, but until I saw DJ, I hadn't seen this six, one plus corner in eighth grade, locking down kids in Tampa, eighth grade, eighth grade, eighth grade. I'd have taken him as an eighth grader at Florida, Florida state, whatever. He was ready. You think he was ready to play college football when he was in eighth grade? No, I mean, after that, you would have redshirted him for you, gave him a little weight, but like physically it's an, his entire family plays like. Older uncle played for Ohio State, the fastest team on turf, got a Super Bowl ring as a D tackle. Cousin is a class of 26 elite offensive tackle. His other cousin, the older brother of the offensive tackle, just signed with Miami. 
family members of one Quicka. Like the entire family are athletes, and he's the most gifted of them all. Uh, he's you could argue, even though he's a five star by everybody, football is his third best sport. His third best sport, and what would what would his baseball, track, track and baseball? I'm not gonna tell him what to think. I'm just going to point yeah. out that Mark Wazikowski has built one heck of a baseball program <laughs> fresh off a super regional appearance. And we're going to go back to the track town USA component for Oregon and Hayward field being the majestic spectacle that it is in that particular sport. He could uh, be the first three sport guy since Jordan Kent, if he wanted to sounds like he could. <laughs> he's 10, eight and a hundred meters goofing around with that. He's a center fielder. That's really good. He, he can do anything. Uh, basketball goofing around, name a dunk. He's, he's a freak. Uh, doesn't say anything on the football field, just scores touchdowns and makes interceptions. He's the most frustrating guy in the country to cover at a seven-on-seven seven because other teams literally will not throw it to his side of the field. I can't get Phil. I can't get Phil. The only that football is the- I, I got of him, he went to offense for one play. Guess what happened? Touchdown. That would be correct. Touchdown, yeah, okay. But he's projecting as, as a defensive back, right? Is he more safety or more corner? whatever he wants. They've been playing him at corner just for funsies um, to try to like take away a main piece. He plays for California power. It's one of the better seven on seven programs. And again, this was at battle, which is the biggest tournament of the year is battle Miami teams from across the country, LA, uh, you name it. Teams avoid him. And it's, there were power five guys on every team at receiver. Nobody would throw at it. And that's been going on for three, four years. When he was a sophomore, I, I did an entire game, every clip, zero clips that I get with him with the ball around. That was not very fun. I was very angry. But <laughs> he and I were actually joking around about it before this last game. And I said, I hate bidding you because nobody ever throws at you. And he just smiled. Typically, he didn't even say he, know, he knows he's not going to see the ball. So, But he just visited Oregon. He's got 50 offers, literally. He's a guy that's going to come in somewhere, whether it's corner, nickel, or safety, or combination thereof, and he's going to play. He's the rarest of the rare. Six three and a half, legit six three and a half. He is as rare as it gets because he, on the touchdown he scored, he made the guy look bad. Did a shimmy, the guy went one way, DJ went the other. That was it, touchdown. And he's just whatever he wants to do, he does things differently at his size. And I call him the spider because his arms are so long. So you mentioned he plays for California Power, but he is not from California. He's from the opposite of of California in many, many a ways, and that would that would be Florida, right? So who else is after him? I imagine Miami has got to be in the mix there with with Mario Cristobal. Oh, yeah, Miami's been all over him. He's visited there recently. His cousin just signed there. So I mean, Booker Pickett. He's a, he's an edge that dominated in the Under Armour game in the Polynesian Bowl. Um, yeah, like they're they're all from Tampa. One of his friends and family friends is from California, but lives in Tampa. He started California Power, and that's why DJ plays for them. But it doesn't matter. He's pretty open ended. His last two visits were LSU and Oregon, and he's from Tampa. So I mean, he's about as open as it gets. Michigan and Alabama were on his list. Coaching changes. Uh, Florida is a little iffy because all the things that have gone on there with their coaching staff kind of being in upheaval. He could go anywhere. He, I know him well, but I have no idea where he's going. And I'll probably be standing next to him on signing day and five minutes before, I probably won't know. It's going to be a long recruit. 
Does he feel like a summer commitment to you or, or one of those names that Duck fans should just prepare for the long haul recruitment to fly in and out trending for or against or anything like that all the way up till December? I think it's more of the latter. He could make a decision earlier. I mean, he's taken a ton of visits. He's been very proactive, but he's a kid that is going to evaluate his options. He's not a kid that jumps on the, the bandwagon of any one school. He's more laid back and look at things. Again, quiet natured, kind of just does what he does, doesn't really put his information out there. If he posts an edit, like it'll just be the picture, you know, put like a duck. He doesn't make a bunch of comments or what. He's very quiet kid. Interesting. All right. Well, that's definitely a good name for Oregon fans uh, to be aware of. And we know that Dan Lanning and, and Tosh Lupoy and everybody on staff recruit defense typically before oh. offense. And, and offense in 2025 is where the class has already gotten off to a better start. They've got a couple of receivers and offensive linemen and a quarterback right now in the 2025 cycle. But they could still add on that side of the ball. You can always add talent. You can never have too much talent, no matter what the position group is or what class is or anything of the sort. One guy that Oregon is going after is currently a verbal commit to LSU, five-star wide receiver, DeCorian Moore, mega talent out there. Do you think that LSU is going to give up his commitment easily? Am I really supposed to answer that? Or? No, not really. That was a rhetorical question, but I'll ask you. I'll ask you a serious one now. Uh, what what makes more uh, just a special player at a glance, and then what is kind of the latest on his recruitment and Oregon's chances to try and flip him? Well, he is committed to LSU, but he did just get done with a trip to the University of Oregon. They've just been after him. Um, Dan is pretty much a carbon copy of Kirby Smart in that he doesn't pay attention to the label of committed, uncommitted you're a good player, I'm going to recruit you. And that's fine because it typically works. And to be honest with you, Oregon's offense this past year, I forget how many yards they threw for, but it was over 4,000. It's going to be kind of attractive, I would assume. They're going to the Big Ten. That obviously helps. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But the big thing with him is as a player, he's at Duncanville. And for those of you who don't know, that's a greater Dallas area program, arguably the best program in the state of Texas. Now let that soak in for a second. Extremely well-coached extreme talent. They're a power football team that goes play action throws deep, kind of like early 1990s Cowboys when they want to be, because they've always got running backs in alignment. They're big, but he's still a centerpiece. If you're a centerpiece at Duncanville as a receiver, you're a dude. And then when he went to Under Armour's Future 50 last year, I saw him. I'm like, okay, making really awkward catches look easy. He's very nimble and he's a strong kid, which is typical of Duncanville. Like their high school weight room would not, not rival Oregon, but it's still elite. Like it's, you know, those kind of programs, he's going to walk in a little bit differently than other guys, a little more physically ready than like some of the Florida kids that I typically see. Florida weight rooms compared to Texas is hilarious. It's, there is no comparison. But it's just one of those deals, man. He has all the pieces you're looking for and a little bit of a want-to factor. Double coverage does me kind of like Bear. Uh, well, he doesn't care. He'll go up and get it. He's in contention for the number one receiver in the country. Oregon, Alabama, you know, Miami, whatever he wants, any, any phone call he wants to make, he can be committed. And it's because he's earned it. So when 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 he first committed to LSU, that's a very early yeah, commitment. Was, and and, and Oregon, by the way, in the 2024 cycle, I remember, had some very early commitments. One of them was Cole Martin. He ended up coming to the Ducks, of course, has since transferred out. Another one was Jordan Anderson, who ended up decommit. There were other ones who uh who decided to stay committed to the Ducks and are going going to enroll 
when you see someone is committed for the 2025 cycle right now, do you put a lot of weight, a lot of weight behind that? Not a lot or depends on the situation. I think it's more dependent on the situation because like with Moore, if he'd have committed to Florida or Oregon, you know, two opposite coasts, still wouldn't have mattered. Texas is going to recruit. Alabama's going to recruit. The five-star kids, it just doesn't matter anymore because very few of them drop their recruitment to zero and they're just locked in with one school. I mean, that's very, very rare. So I don't think it matters that much. You have to look at it if you're Dan Lanning or if you're Brian Kelly at LSU, we have to recruit him today like it's the first day of a recruiting more. That's I know they hate it. Coaches hate that. That's why a lot of guys are going to the pros now. But recruiting is 365, committed or uncommitted. And he's going to get offers to go to, to visit some places. I'm sure he'll go. And to be honest with you, I'm sure Oregon will probably be one of those because it sounds like, based on the visit this past weekend, they, they more than impressed him. Like he feels comfortable with Oregon. That's a very important word in the world of recruiting. Well, Oregon's brand has got uh, quite the the solid amount of pull in the recruiting world, and we're going to talk more about that uh, as the show goes on after we talk about FanDuel because happy Super Bowl, everybody. It's finally here, the last football game until spring games, and that is sad on the one hand. On the other hand, March Madness isn't far away, and you can bet all of that and more over at FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. If you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday is all about scoring the best seat on the couch, grabbing your favorite football snacks, and placing some super bets. FanDuel has so many ways for you to end the season with a W or two or three, however many you feel like you can get. You can pick who's going to win Super Bowl 58, or you can also bet which players will score a touchdown, how many points will be scored, and so much more. New customers join today, and you'll get 200 $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. All right, Brian, we got some mailbag questions for you on today's show. If you ever want to be a part of it, YouTube comments or X formerly known as Twitter at S McLaughlin CFB or at Locked On Ducks, DMs and mentions wide open. If you want to become a Locked On Ducks insider, you can link in the description below wherever you listen to or watch this show. You can get all sorts of more detailed thoughts and analysis from me right to your phone, and you get priority mailbag access. These questions came over there via Bud. When the upcoming recruiting class of 2025 was born in 2006 and 2007, Chip Kelly was the offensive coordinator at Oregon, took over as the head coach from 2009 to 2012. To those players, based on what they have seen, Oregon appears to be overall a blue blood program in the Pac-12 RIP, while USC does not. How important is that in recruiting in, in recruiting that class and future classes in contrast to what their parents experienced? I kind of narrow this question down, Brian, to is Oregon the West Coast recruiting blue blood? Historically, no. But right now, I think they're the more powerful brand because they've got coaches that put more effort into it. Again, it's not just the people in the jersey. It's everything together. You've got the facilities. Obviously, they're winning. That obviously helps. They got the money. They got a guy that a head coach that likes recruiting. They have all of it together. USC should always be. It's in LA. It's not that hard. Okay. It's not that hard. The players are literally in your back door. I mean, that's the, what I mean. It, you can make an argument that USC should be the easiest program in the country to be consistently a top five. You can make that argument and it, it's legit. They haven't done it because they haven't put in the effort. Part of it's the administration, part of it's the traffic and that it's harder to get coaches. There. There's a lot of things going on there, but 
they haven't hired the right people to do it. And I think Oregon is right now. Part of it is what he said, though. The kids growing up, Oregon's looked at as an exciting brand consistently. USC has been a freaking roller coaster for over a decade. And I don't understand why. I'm not a USC fan, but it's good for college football when you have villains like that that can be really good. Not necessarily like the Reggie Bush years, but at least be nine and three. There are years they're around 500. I mean, they were, they had Caleb Williams. They had a, well, they had, they, had, they had a four and eight season in 2021. They fired Clay Helton in the mid, midway through that season, and it's just an abject disaster of a train wreck. Then in 2022, Lincoln Riley comes in with Caleb Williams, and it looks like everything's back to normal, and they lose their last two games of the season, allowing, I think, over 250 rushing yards in each of those two games. They don't make defensive staff changes in the offseason. They come back in 2023. They're not a bad team, but they're not a great team either compared to what they should be with the talent they had. They made good offseason moves in the portal. I mean, they got guys that, that Oregon was going at. I mean, Bear, Bear Alexander, that dude's a beast. That dude's a beast. They had Eric Gentry. They had uh, Mason Cobb. Like, they had some players there, and they just couldn't coach them because they stuck with Alex Grinch at D.C., and they end the year 8-5, and five, which is certainly a far cry from what they should have they they should have done this year. I mean, our, our Locked On USC host, Mark Colkin, predicted them to go 15-0, and 0, and he was not just – being a Homer fan in that instance, he legitimately thought this is what should happen this year. And instead they, they went eight and five. So I think on the recruiting front, you know, Lincoln Riley, I don't know what your impression is of him as a recruiter. He's, he's good. He's solid. He's got a brand as a quarterback developer and whisperer, rightfully so. But when it comes to just overall recruiting prowess, I, I give the edge to Dan Lanning in Oregon, and I think the results have demonstrated that over the last couple of years, and there's nobody else out West that could go toe-to-toe with those two on the recruiting front, not even Washington. It's not even competitive. Uh, Dan's effort is the biggest thing. Look, modern, we've talked about this on the show. Modern day is right down the road from Southern Cal. It's as good a high school program as there has been since the 1980s, period. They're struggling to get kids from freaking modern day. That's a, the head coach there for all those years. Robinson is a USC guy. He's still around there and they can't get kids. What does that tell you? There's something very awkward there. That they're not working as hard as they should. 100%. So that's the number one thing. The questions about the brand and who should be, it's still about effort. You can have a really mediocre program recruit well if the coaches put in effort. And I'm talking about overtime and going at it. You don't have to be Urban Meyer to recruit well. There's there's a million ways to make recruiting work. They haven't maximized. And then your point about, and rightfully so, why in the world did they keep Alex French another year? I can't. I, I, I still can't figure that out. It's been all this time. He gets fired at one point during the season. I'm like, wow, who could have possibly seen that coming? I mean, if there was ever a quarterback more wasted than Caleb Williams, this man has not seen it. That's all I'm saying. And I, again, I'm not a USC fan. I just, yeah, I feel bad for him because their games, they'd score 30, 40 points. Well, and they, you know. Okay. So here's where, so I agree on the wasting Caleb Williams part. I, I don't agree on feeling bad for him. I talked about this during the season after the Washington game. Everyone was like, oh my gosh, I feel bad for Caleb Williams. Man, they, they don't support him. They don't do this. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. time out, time out, time out. He was at Oklahoma. He knew what Lincoln Riley was as a head coach, he knew what Alex Grinch was as a DC. He chose to go to USC because that was going to be the most beneficial place for him, both financially and offensively with Lincoln Riley. He got a Heisman trophy at it. 
out of it, congratulations. But that's a decision that he made to say, I want to hitch my wagon to this guy, knowing what the past has shown with Lincoln Riley, which is he'll score a lot of points, but if he doesn't have a good defensive coordinator, which he never has, he's not going to be able to get you enough stops to win in the way that maximizes your your potential. So on that on that front, we disagree because he made that choice consciously, whereas he could have stayed with Brett Venables, who you know improved Oklahoma dramatically from his first year to his second year, and his first year would not have been as bad had had Caleb Williams been there. That, that's just where I where I come down on it. But I look at USC's 2024 recruiting class and see it's you know 17th in the country, and it's like that's not bad. Like he's good. You can you can win at a high level with that. But is it where it could be? No, probably, probably not. That's. I mean, they should be top eight conservatively every year. Yeah, I I, I agree with you there. We'll close with this question, and and I get this quite often uh, uh, from people. But Oregon is over the scholarship limit right now, and they're going to have to trim down. And when the spring transfer portal window opens, guys are are going to leave. When you've covered recruiting or talked to coaches or see these moves take place, like every staff, every coach has to deal with this sort of stuff. What sort of impact does that have on the staff? How do they make those sorts of assessments of which guys they will, you know, encourage to enter the portal, perhaps? And and what kind of effect does it have on, on teams and locker rooms when, you know, got new guys are brought in and then guys who might have been, you know, great locker room guys the season prior are just going to have to hit the portal because there aren't enough aren't enough spots for them. It is a hodgepodge. Sometimes that can be your locker room killer. Even if a guy is just mediocre, if he's the guy in the locker room, you better be real careful. This is one of the things that Kirby was talking about after they just bludgeoned Florida State, talking about how you recruit, making sure you don't take just a ton of portal guys, et cetera. You got to have a certain culture. Obviously, he recruits at a high level, so it's a little easier for Kirby to say that. But still, he passes on certain kids that want to go there. I hear about some of this stuff under the radar, whether it's a portal kid or a high school Juco kid. That's where this comes in. Some guys just go and throw mud at a wall, take talent and see what happens. That's how you screw up your locker room. And I'm sure Lanning knows this because he worked for Kirby, he's worked for Nick, et cetera. But there's a fine line there. The teams that get rid of guys know which ones to get rid of and they can see things from a long way out. So they don't put themselves in that situation like two weeks away from having to be at 85. That's the number, obviously. And now we got to get rid of somebody I really didn't want to, but math is math. You can't put yourself in that position because then you tick off the other guys there. You might lose more players than you wanted, and uh, that's that's rough. So it's a very fine line, man. Uh, it goes both ways. There isn't just one answer there. Yeah, I think you've seen teams like Colorado and USC, for instance, that are largely built through the transfer portal. You look at it and go, wait, they've they've got more talent than what they're doing on the field. What's What's the problem? And I think you would look to – a cultural element of, hey, is, is there universal buy-in commitment or are there just a bunch of guys that are, you know, talented perhaps, but not playing together, working together as a team the way uh, that they always need to. Brian Smith is at FB Scout underscore Florida on X, formerly known as Twitter. Brian, thanks so much for stopping by. Thanks, sir. Appreciate it. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And as always, go Ducks.